Yes. Uh, oh, yes. So, this is Rhetoric in Retrospect. I'm Max, and I'm joined here by my pals, Ben and David. Can You Learn to Be Lucky by Carla Starr. It's a book on how to optimize your chances of success. Shallow men believe in luck. Strong men believe in cause and effect. Ralph Waldo Emerson. Yeah, so I stumbled upon this book through my Goodreads recommendations. Oh, yes. Goodreads is so accurate, and I've been reading a lot of, like, business economic psychology books, and this one manages to combine all three quite eloquently, and I've been enjoying it quite... I've been enjoying it quite a lot. Yeah. Alas, I can't... I can't precisely recommend it, which is why I've selected... um, I've selected my favorite bits, which I'm going to tell about tell to you guys today yeah so the first point you guys uh have you ever been judged in a competition i'm i must i I think i'm certain i have as to which competition i will take some time to call probably but yes i certainly have been in a competition yeah is it (laughs) everybody some some competitions have unequivocal victors like like track and field, where I mean, the person who crosses the the finish line first is is the unequivocal winner. There's yes. no there's no debate about who crossed the line first with technology and stuff like that. Um, yeah, and in in that case, the the winner is very clear. However, some competitions are subjective in their winner. That things like gymnastics and figure skating. Where, in order to determine the winner, they have to be judged. Yes. And, and, also, and also art, too. Um, but, you see, all of these judges, they aren't, they aren't judged by robots yet. Yet. <laughs> and, so, and so they must be judged by people. And, and the thing is, <laughs> I don't know if you guys know this, but, but people are flawed. And, really? Yes. And, and <laughs> these... These flaws can can not necessarily exploited, but the thing is, if you if you had two people of identical skill, and you entered them into competition, they would not be rated identically because you see, the jar the, the judges, the judges ratings are are based on a number of things, yeah, um, like like the current attitude and um, yeah, is it how what what even like things like what seating position they were in. To see your performance or the time of day. There's so many things that influence because I mean they're human and yeah. uh, nobody knows what, not nobody knows, but there's a lot of things that influence a human's decision. And so, surely, um, and so there there is there is a pattern to which judges there there is a pattern to optimize what scores you can get from judges. And and this is what the book goes into. Um, this is from the first chapter and and. Oh, it gets laid out quite brilliantly. It, it, it sounds like uh, I think that we could all recommend the video "Is Success Luck or Hard Work" by Veritasium. That look, look it up on YouTube; it's very good. But it, oh, it yeah, that was a really good one. Much of the same thing that he gives the example of astronauts. It's so competitive that everybody is as good as each other. They're all at a hundred percent of good work, quote unquote. But then the the 
it's a massive pool still. So the amount of people to get chosen is just mostly based on luck. And, and I think in this case, you can define that luck to be the bias of the judges or, or whatever it is. There's a bunch of factors that aren't necessarily inside their control, but I think you're going to teach us how they sort of can be, right? Yeah. And so in, fr- in front of an um, impartial jury, the best performance would be given the highest score, um, clearly. But, yeah. but uh, judges are... Human judges are not perfect, and there's certain quirks that can be used in order to increase your chances of getting a higher score. And um, there have been several studies which have found out this very peculiar quirk is that <clears throat> whenever competing options are considered in sequence, their evaluations may be affected by order of appearance. And so, basically, the if the same exact performance was given in the very first was seen by the judges the first time, and then the last time, the the scores are going to be different. They're going to be influenced. In fact, they're going to the the two performances of equal of equal uh, skill. One at the first, one at the beginning, the very first one, the one at being the last performance. The last one will be given a higher score. And this has been this has been seen by multiple studies. I've I've read over these papers and. Um, and they've, they've analyzed, in this example, they've analyzed the European figure skating championships. And they found that the final performers had a 14% chance of winning, whereas the odds of the first skater emerging victorious was a mere 3%. Mm-hmm. And um, similarly, uh, when looking at all of the American Idol episodes and in other um, international variations, uh, researchers have, have shown that Moving one position closer to the end of the show provides an additional 5% on your chances of winning. Um, this, is, this has been, uh, this is solid, this is solid science. And, and you know, I actually, I actually quite believe it. Um, because if you look at, at what judges see, the very first, the very first performance that they get, they'd be fools to, to give it a perfect score. The very first performance isn't going to. Nobody's going to give it a ten because they don't know. They can't tell what um, the all the other performances can have because then they'll look like fools if every single person is at least that or better. Yeah. And then what are they going to do? They can't give higher than a perfect score, which is why they normally start. You, the very first should be the base. The very first performance should be the baseline. Um, yeah. Whereas, whereas with the last performance, the last performance you can um, <laughs> you have. The, everybody else to reflect upon, and so if you're truly skilled, then that skill will um, will be accurately represented on the form. So it's not necessarily that if you go later on, you're doing better, but rather if you're early on, you're worse. Because if you're even if you're doing even if you had a perfect performance at the very beginning, that's going to be diminuated. Yeah, <laughs> it's going to be shrunken by the fact that. Um, that the judges had didn't have anything to compare it to. They couldn't tell that it was a perfect score because they hadn't seen anything beforehand. Though, if you're the least skilled out of the entire group, I think it probably would be the best bet to go first, right? Because then they don't have anything to judge against. It was a good thing in that scenario. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. Definitely, it's not that skill had has no bearing because no. certainly, just by going last, you're not going to win it all. But if you're if you're at a similar score as your peers, then trying to go last is a is a good option. Yeah, it's it's sort of I, I, I totally understand that because if you ask a baby 
three things, then they'll always repeat the last thing that you said. And if you if you give, that's why you you if you're like if you're uh, asking somebody, I don't know what they'd like, right? You always go in order of like small to large or something. Yeah. Yeah, 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 like small, medium, or large, and then so that the the odds are that they'll choose either the medium or the large. Yeah, we've got these these strange mental quirks, and yeah. and that's what the the book points out uh, a lot. And and I think I think it's it's quite ingenious to to think that you could you could increase your odds of winning something just by going last, just by the order. Yeah. Um, and, but, but yeah, but to, again, to be sure, skill doesn't have no bearing on Judge Schwartz. It's that the in, the internal judging bias has more of an effect than yeah. I think people realize. And and even if the judges have prior experience, sure, that if they're a judge, that very first performance that they're presented that day isn't going to be the first performance they've ever seen. Yeah. Um, but they m- may not be so stuck in their in their memory as uh, and. Uh, an example that I can think of in myself is that well, every every week, well, we're, we're homeschooled and we go to this program called Classical Conversations. I think we've mentioned it before. We're just doxing ourselves. <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> but they don't know where in Classical Conversations. But anyway, in, in our class this year, we had to write a bunch of essays on all these different books. Max and I are in the same class. And we have two other peers. And even though we, we, we've heard, what, 12 or 15 or 20 essays from each other all year, every time... If, if you're going first or last, you always think y- you don't remember that previous frame of reference. You could think, oh, well, I thought I remembered that this is equivalent to our previous standards, but what if I'm, my memory is just overly inflating what, what we have done in the past, et cetera? So the, the memory is fallible, and I think that, that if one was a judge, that would be the same thing in your mind. Well, what if I remember everybody being better than they are, so I'm thinking this person is really bad when actually they're pretty average, and I'm just remembering people being really good. So I think that the judge would tend to be mentally confused and think, oh, well, well, it, I don't have anything to judge, and my memories could be inflated or deflated, so that they're unsure, that confuzzling nature. Yeah, I'm not sure. I haven't... I haven't... I haven't participated in very many judged sports. I'm not a, a gymnast or a figure skater. Um, and I, I wonder how much that has an, an effect. I wonder if that has, uh, if people people notice that, saying, hey, I went last and then I, I did better. Um, but there are a couple of instances I think we'll all encounter in terms of judging, which is uh, job ap- job applications. <gasps> yes. But... Um, in those cases, you can't really control. Um, you can't really control the order you go in. Uh, same thing in robotics. Going in front of the judges, you don't have influence over that. And same thing. I think this has been realized before in competitions. And so generally, the order is randomized. So you can't vie for a better position just by, um, by, sort of. You don't have any influence over the order you go in. So. Even if you knew this trick, it wouldn't help you a lot. But in things that are less formal and things that allow you the opportunity to choose the judging order, definitely. Uh, this is, this is a, a good trick to know. But this is bringing us to the other question. <laughs> is, is is the use of... If, if you know this <laughs> and, and you're in a position where you're about to be judged and you have decisions on the order to go in... Is it right to go last and keep that to yourself 
to um because you know that you can do better than everybody else hmm. Hmm. Uh, like ethical ethically yeah ethically uh, I, I don't know it's just going last right but then again, then hmm. I don't know. But, but then what do you, you know, the, the solution to this, I think, would be have everybody go twice in the same order. Hmm. Because then if you have everybody go once, now they have a frame of reference and now they can judge everyone on the second round. So, yeah, but that doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I don't think, I think, especially in gymnastics or figure skating where you're performing you can't exactly re- replicate that. Yeah, no. But you won't could be used is like technology where you can replay it back. Exactly. Same with, with with art. You can always look at them in a different order. You can always, yeah, go back to it and compare overall after seeing every single painting, and uh, really think about that. But uh, I I, th- I think it's in the morally gray area. It's yeah. sort of it's just. But I mean, it's dodgy. If you had any other advantage over your opponents, it was like a piece of knowledge, like I don't know. Let's say in a, in a cooking in a baking competition, uh, you do like some the judges liked a certain ingredient, like they like chocolate. Then would it be right to to withhold that information for your own strategical advantage and use that? Similar to this to well, the scenario. Hmm. Because I don't know. It's strategy well, versus. If you didn't, would you just like say to somebody else, "Oh, you go first so that you can right. win"? Would you just like, throw yourself under the bus like right. that? I think it can instantly turn into deception. Yeah. Like uh, one is strategy, but one is deception. So I guess yeah. if you knew a quirk in the rules, if let's let's say an imaginary game, you knew a quirk in the rules, and you're holding with holding that information so that you could later, so you could later use that quirk in the rules to your own advantage. Would that not be would that not be okay? Because it's by the rule, rules of the game. Yeah, that's yeah, it's strategy. And if you were in a situation yeah. where you got to choose your judging order, would not not that not be part of the uh, game as well? I I I think that I think it would be legit because this is uh, this is a book that's commonly available. It's common knowledge. If you want strategy, go read the book. True. I mean, but I still don't think it's it's completely on the up and up. But I don't think it's. A morally reprehensible behavior, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, de- definitely, definitely, it's it's not reprehensible. But the listeners, if you if you listen to this podcast or read the book and use this, knowledge <laughs> is power, and power comes uh, with great power comes great with responsibility. Great power comes becomes great, great responsibility. responsibility. So with great knowledge comes great responsibility as well. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What so. a wonderful syllogism. <laughs> That is a good syllogism. Indubitably. Wow, and knowledge is... Wow, okay. okay. Knowledge is power. Power. Power Responsibility, therefore, therefore, knowledge, responsibility. Yeah. 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 But, but that's just that's just one way to uh, just to take something that would normally be luck, judging, and make it... And gain control of it. Have some, some sort of power over the luck. You're making yourself luckier. That's sort of a strange <laughs> way to think of it. If you ever gain skill aren't you inherently decreasing the amount of luck that's in the variable that's, that, that's in the situation well that's an interesting way to think of it or as another way that it's incredibly lucky and is get getting acquaintances of friends and, uh-huh. and and contacts and so in chapter two uh carla star goes into this and can you be lucky can you learn to be lucky and and this is this is really good so as you know, we're all friends. Oh yeah. Um, and and how did we, how do we meet each other? Well, 
I think it was it was all through classical conversations. It was just simply by proximity. Oh no, not oh that. oh oh! We have, we, have, think... we have quite the story. Well, I think that no, it we... was through classical conversations. Sort yes, Abigail attacked you and Rilla, and then we were fast <laughs> friends. Wait, what? Wait, remember she I... she attacked you in a hug, never having met you. I don't remember. That was that. one of our first encounters, and then my, and then our mothers brought us together at my house, and we were both very scared of each other. <laughs> and then David, when we met you, we dragged you through a poison ivy patch without speaking a single word. It was very creepy. And then we were fast. Yeah, w- w- the, the parents said, "Go play in the back," and then just dragged you into the back without like, a single word, and just we're tromping you, through the forest, we're taking you to the to where was the it? Swing. We're just, we're just <laughs> to the swing. We're taking you to Rivendell. We we're just Rivendell. tromping through the wilderness, and then. We were fast friends after that. Oh, yes. Oh, we, yes. we burned each other with sticks at the campfire that night. <laughs> brilliant. Brilliant. Well, well. anyways, the moral of the story. <laughs> is, yes, yes, yes. Is that in order to actually meet somebody, to actually get to know someone, this is, and this is a shocking revelation, you have to, be, you have to meet them. <laughs> <gasps> oh, my goodness. Wait, but but I, I just read that Gen Zers are, are less prone to face-to-face meetings. <laughs> <laughs> well... Well, certainly now we are, but back in the good old days, ye oldie days. Um, you, I mean, in order to in order to get to know people, you have to get close to them, and and often the number of friends you have is is related to the the who becomes your friend is related to proximity. Yeah. Um, in this quote, um, a researcher, Lion Leon Festinger. Anyways, this, this researcher guy, he he found out in his study. That the key variable influencing how likely two people were to become friends were proximity. Was is proximity. So um, they did a study. They analyzed um, friendships in dor- college dormitories, and when these, when each resident was asked to name their closest friends, two thirds picked someone in the same building. Two thirds of those named somebody living on the same floor and um and most most frequently uh naming their next door neighbor yeah and so friendships are most likely to form between college students living on the same floors as dormitories and once again there's a there's if you read the book they have citations oh thank goodness i can i can finally not take have to take the author's word for it yeah. and and i've read them and there have been several studies that basically show that pe- people are most likely to be friends with people who they're close to. Um, for instance, uh, the police in a study studying the study studying study studying in a study looking at the Maryland State Police, they found that the um, police recruits uh, were most likely to become pals based on the alphabetical order of their surnames. Uh-huh. Because when you're when your cer- your last name is close together, then you're more likely to be paired together. And oh, so and so and so like so likewise, um, when you're paired with somebody, you're you're more likely to become friends with them as opposed to if you hadn't been paired with them at all. Huh. Um, yeah, and, and also in college again in college dormitories is that people on the bottom floors on the on the lobby level floor, the ground level floor, they had more friends than the people who live in the top because in order to get down to the floor level to to leave, you had to pass through. The uh, ground level, and so um, and the, and so these people they would um, y- they get passed by more often, you know. 
because when they're walking out, then everybody above them is coming through those floors. And so they'd gain a lot of friends just by brushing paths. Um, Wait, but, just like, just like instantly, just. No, they went. They went. <laughs> uh, this goes into into the theory. This is this is a. They call it the marble theory. This is kind of strange, but I mean, it, but it makes sense. It makes sense. I hope I'm not, I'm not, like, just spouting off some some nonsense because I, I've looked at this and and I, I think it not only does, is it backed up by uh, authorities, but it also it also just makes sense, right? I'm, I'm tracking with you. In, so in order to in order to gain friends, you actually have to you know be close to them. You're not going to become friends with somebody you never meet. Yeah. Right. Right. And so, uh, the other theory, it, the they call it the marble theory, and this goes on for the. This is only chapter two, but this this thread is carried out through the, the entire rest of the book. It's it's a key building block on um all the concepts in the in the rest of the book. Is that is that M A R B L E or is that M A R B M A like. M A R B L E, you know, like marble. Yeah, marble. Like, yeah, yeah. Marble. Okay, yeah. yeah. I um, thought it was marble. marble runs. Uh, no, marble. <laughs> so, so the, in decision making, this is by a, a researcher looking at just how the brain makes decisions, how, the, how we make decisions in our minds. Basically, what happens is throughout, when you're making a decision, you're collecting evidence for one side or the other. Right, and so you're collecting these marbles of different sizes, and so if you're comparing whether to get one phone over the other, you might say, oh, one has a bigger camera. You put, um, one has, I don't know, more storage, one is cheaper, one is a color I like. And so you take all these, you take all these decisions, these marbles, and you put them on a scale. The bigger, the bigger the, 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 the marble, the, um, the more gravity the, the, that has over your, the more influence it has over your decision. So maybe price is a big factor to you, and that'll be a big marble on your end. And so, and so, of course, this makes sense. Of course, if you're gonna if you're gonna have more reasons to get one phone over the other phone, clearly you're going to get the one with more reasons. And so, and so that yes, this this clearly makes sense. I, I don't I don't know if she talked about this, but the the issue I I see there and and see put into practice is that the more reasons thing, and that companies will start try to exploit that. They will say. They'll have all these little itty bitty reasons that are completely ridiculous. Then once you have enough of them, they seem to seem to start to seem like a big reason, even mm. though they're really not. Yeah, I, d- I definitely thought about that. that. And, and I think later on in the book, she, or at least in, in another book I was reading, basically <laughs> people will put marbles on their scale for reasons that don't even pertain to them. Like, exactly. Like oh oh, this one has lots of storage, but you never use you, your storage. Exactly. You have, like, you always store stuff in your in the cloud, right. but but storage. Oh, this one has five cameras, but you'll only use one. Oh my goodness, it's like uh, it's like battery life in uh, headphones. Exactly. Like, oh my goodness, this one has a hundred hours of battery life, but it's when a are you going to use a hundred <laughs> yeah. hours of battery? Exactly. Life. Yeah. Yeah, things that don't have as much don't that we don't aren't actually applicable to us have more yeah. influence than we think right. they do. Yeah. And and often companies. Uh, try to exploit that with especially with the cameras they want they're trying to vie for a reason for you to get a new phone and often cameras are good reasons but not for everybody no. um and yes so this this all makes sense and um oh this is again this is another mind phallus it isn't exactly the same concept but it's a, a physical a mental representation yeah. of your mind so 
having more somebody that mm. takes marbles and puts them on a scale. Sort of, yeah. Yeah, I, th- I thought Mind Palace is more for memory, but it's it's in a similar vein. Yeah. Well, it's for, for overall function, but yeah. yeah, yeah. And so and so an- another thing this researcher identified was that you like to put marbles on sides that are already weighed down. Um, and so you make you yeah. make it easier to reason putting marbles uh, on on sides that you've already um, I- identified as the leading reason. Is um, it like a snowball? Like just snowball? yeah, sort of like yeah, a yeah. snowballing effect. It just makes it it you have sort of a bias towards making more reasons for the one you already have. Mm-hmm. We, we we see this a lot in confirmation bias. Oftentimes, with people's opinions already on a certain side, then it's just too easy to. Um, to they put too much gravity on, on evidence that points towards their own side, as opposed uh, towards the side they already believe in, as opposed uh-huh. to something against it. Yeah. Um, definitely, definitely. Uh, these you always have to be cognizant of your own biases, uh, which is which is something we always try to look out for. Um, but but it is it is a thing confirmation bias. Um, that's why that's why you, you always have to expose yourself to other people's ideas contrary ideas how you can really give it really give it a, a thought yeah um which is which is what we what we always try to do yeah so anyways just by being around other people just by seeing other people's faces um in this in this uh getting gaining acquaintances uh theory just by being present <laughs> people are already adding marbles that say it's like he isn't. You aren't actually causing harm, right? And so the the human brain has, has survived on this idea that um, if it doesn't hurt me, it must be good, right? I mean, back in back in ye olde days, before when when you know you lived in the wild and you're hunter gatherers, <laughs> um, and I don't want to go down the rabbit hole too much, but um, but yeah, is it we put more gravity on things that couldn't harm us because you had to be constantly vigilant otherwise you know something might attack you right like yeah wild animals and so and so just and so what you do is the people who survived are the ones who were slower to trust and and so and so um and so that 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 idea is still is still present in that I still think this. I, I do think this is a, a good thing, but people trust you more if you aren't causing active, actively causing harm. So right. So when you, when you're just around somebody, you know, and you aren't a crazed maniac, then they at least have some level of trust with you. Whereas if you, if they just met you out of the blue, they'd be un- less likely because you know they haven't seen how you behave in public, <laughs> and so, and so the, the theory goes that. Um, when when you're just around people that you're giving them reasons to put some faith in you and and trust you a little bit which uh helps cultivate relationships yeah i think i can um, get behind yeah not being a maniac is a better impression than being a maniac yeah definitely yeah and and when you're when you're around people and even if you're even if you're part of the crowd if you aren't being a maniac in the crowd then that adds trust Adds trust to your to your side because if scale. you don't know somebody, then there's only the potential that they are a maniac. So yeah, whereas if you're exposed out. to them for longer, then um, there's more reasons to you know actually get to know them because exactly. you're trust trusting them. So yeah. um, and so so ways, ways that this can be used is always request 
a lobby floor room in a dorm. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> maybe you can try that one out, David. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, but just just showing up is half the battle. Uh, is that yeah? Success is just being present. Yeah. Not not all just being present, but, but if, if you're not present, then you can't have success. Yeah, you can, you can't get to meet people. You know, nobody's gonna have faith in you. Uh, yeah. If they just met you, they're going to have less faith in you than and if you'd been hanging around. Other people are pretty much the key to success. And then there's something morality thing. We don't want to use people like tools. Like, I'm, I'm only friends with this person to as a means to an end to be successful. Yeah, definitely. Um, but it's always... I guess I guess this is better than the... This this tip can be, couldn't be used as, as much as the last tip because, you know... It's about it's about gaining friends, right, yeah. and gaining trust of the people around you, um, not to exploit them or anything, but but you get the point. Yeah. Is that if you want to, if you, the first step to being successful is to sh- is showing up. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And so and so that that's most people would consider like gaining friends or contacts just to be sh- pure luck, but there are ways you can influence that. There are ways that you can have some say over that lucky side and and that that skill makes you more lucky it makes your life less dependent on luck uh, and, and this is one of my other favorite parts is, is the third one is how to get good <laughs> <laughs> okay so, so okay yeah so normally you know there's there's some people hmm, how do I put this Everybody has a natural tendency towards things, right? Yeah. Um, some people are luckier, or, or have they call it beginner's luck, but in reality, some people are inclined towards certain things more than others, yeah. right? Especially, especially in athletics. Uh, apparently, ninety-nine point five percent of the human genetic code is universal, but the point five percent differentiates Serena Williams from Stephen Hawking, and so. We're all different in our genetics and in vastly different things. And um, in oftentimes our genetics has, has a great effect on our success at things, of, of course, especially in the area of, um, of athletics. But even in, in things like, like piano, pianists, yes, um, there is genetics, genetics can, can play a part in and how large, large, how large your hands are, you know, how adept you are with your um, muscle control, which can uh, really set the, the limit to how well you can do in, in athletics and yeah. being a pianist, right? And so, yeah. I, I find that's very funny because just yesterday I read a book and wrote an outline. You probably haven't heard it yet, so I won't say what it is, but it, it's coming on almost this exact same topic, or at least it included this exact same topic, on how you have to pick the right game to be in in order to be successful. Because, and there's a good quote from a behavioral geneticist at King's College in London that says, it's now at the point where we've stopped testing to see if traits have a good genetic component because we literally cannot find a single one that is not influenced by our genes. And obviously there's some... It's it's not like a set in stone. You cannot do this and you cannot do this. But that genetic predisposition sort of 
yeah. determines what you are best at, what your 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 skills and talents are. And we can have things that aren't in our genetic code. We can be good at them, but to be true, the best that some people are are just have genes certain ways and they're built that way. So, yeah. yeah. And so, and so, uh, what what Carla Starr goes to point out is that. There is a limit to what you can do. Most people, when you when you ask most uh, successful athletes what led to their success, most people say it was because I worked hard. You know, it's because I um, I logged those hours, I got my ten thousand hours in, um, and that's what made me successful. And you know, it's really part of the American dream to think that you know if you just work hard enough, you can do anything, but. But you know the the harsh reality is that, that this isn't that harsh. But <laughs> no, the reality is there are certain things that you can never be a pro at. Is yeah. that just because right. of your your genetic predisposition? Um, there are certain things that you won't be the best. You won't be the next Usain Bolt. Like I could try, I could devote my entire life to running, and I I wouldn't be the next Usain Bolt because it's in all likelihood I don't have the genetics for it. Which is um, so. And so the, the key to being lucky, the key to getting to being at the highest level of things, even just getting good at things, is to choose the right ones. Yeah. And so, um, right there's there's two time two kinds of muscle, slow twitch and fast twitch muscle fibers. Uh, slow twitch is endurance based, and fast twitch is is the explosive power, you know, sprint based. Uh-huh. And so, um. Having this different kinds of muscles can set the standard for what sort of sports you're going to be naturally good at. And so if you have lots of slow twitch uh, muscle fibers in your legs, then you're gonna be much you're not gonna have very much success doing sprints right. as you are having marathons. And yeah. so um, you shouldn't try to you shouldn't spend too much time trying to be good at sprints because you know you're not going to be as good as if you'd applied that time to being a marathon runner. Yeah. And well, how, how do you know how much slow twitch and fast twitch, or how many you have in your body? Well, even though that slow twitch and fast twitch, it's just a technical term, um, the concept is that you shouldn't spend... There are certain things that you're going to be better at doing and worse at doing, and there's going to be... There's a cap. You're genetically... You're, you're going to have a limit to which... To what you can accomplish and you have to be very careful about you have to realize that um some things you're going to be better at excelling than others yeah. and um you you have to hop around and try your sport I'm, I'm sure ben will go into a lot more in depth than uh this book went yeah. on and not that much you could you you covered it, it very well just it and that sort of seems sort of dismal to us because i think oh you can do anything and then but you can do most things but if you want to really excel and be the best you can't do most things you can do the things that you're built to do that mm-hmm. you have the skills to do that are that are ingrained in you and well you can learn most things in order to be truly successful you need to have that genetic predisposition to yeah whatever it is if you're going for like the the very peak of um competition if you want to be in the the top one percent of uh, skill, then you're going to have to choose correctly because you know not everybody 
although although everybody's like to say, oh, ten thousand hours. So you have to put in ten thousand hours, and you can be, you can be the best, the best violinist. You can be the best uh, athlete, sports player, basketball player, baseball player. Um, you just have to, you just have to, you know, work work hard, and you can accomplish your dreams. In reality, you're not. There are certain things that you're going to be better at than others, and you have to you have to work and find what you're good at. That way, you can devote your time to being successful yeah. at as opposed to um, attempting to become the best baseball player, only to find that your genetics aren't built. What if I am professionally built? You know, or or not professionally built? I'm specifically crafted by God to be a professional couch potato. <laughs> a professional couch potato certainly certainly there's um there's a range of things right we were talking about <laughs> about the genetic the genetic capabilities blocks you from being the the sign that prevents you from being the the very top of scale right yeah. is that when you're that high when you're at the highest level of tennis, you know everybody up there has a certain genetic qualities, but certainly <laughs> not being a, not being a couch potato <laughs> is something that is at the highest level of skill, <laughs> it, and anybody cannot be a couch potato. Certainly, oh, yes, yeah. true, true, true. And also, with all this said, there is a caveat: just because you are genetically predisposed does not mean you are instantly a success it's predisposed it's not you are so it if i don't know you, you mentioned usain bolt who i don't really know about but i think he's a good runner right yeah, yeah he's the best, best okay so so when he was born he, he probably had the genetic predisposition to be a runner but if he had not practiced and put in the time to train his lungs to breathe well and his legs to move quickly and done all these things he still would not have been successful no matter his genetic predisposition so it's a combination of luck and hard work sort of it's yeah. not like if he, if you're lucky we'll, we'll substitute lucky for genetic predisposition then you are instantly good at whatever it is but it's also not that only if you work hard you'll be the best at whatever it is it's a combination of the two yeah, I'm not trying to say. I have to be very careful in what I say. I'm not trying to say that hard work does, isn't a determining factor in being successful. Yeah. Nor do I want to say that if you don't, if just because you work hard doesn't mean you can't be successful. It's that, um, yes, it, it's what you said, Ben. It's that um, you have to find if you want to be the very top level, you have to find what you're good at naturally, and you also have to work hard at it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And so it takes something that would normally be just luck, genetic predisposition. It shows you, it tells you how to how to how to gain the skill, how to gain the knowledge in order to, you know, get good at being lucky. <laughs> yes, yes. And so the conclusion is, um, go out there and be lucky. You know, use the tricks and. Uh, increase your chance, increase your odds, and recommended reading. Uh, yeah. If you see, here's the thing. I, I can't recommend um, "Can You Learn to Be Lucky" to everybody, but if you're one of the people who I would recommend it to, by all means, go read it. It's a good book. I I do have one thing. To oh yeah. Add. Oh yeah. certainly. Yeah. So how does this fit into 
Fate versus Fortune. Uh, okay, so... My mom and I were talking about this as we were heading over. So, basically, the, let's go with the Greek ideals. Because that's, that's who kind of pioneered it. It was the Babylons first, but then the Greeks. Um, so, fate, fate being that thing that cannot be changed, right? It's set in stone. Yeah. Sort of like predestination and free will, but a bit different. Fate cannot be changed. It's governed by the fates but in, in Greek culture. But fortune being this thing that you can twist and sort of manipulate to your will, is, is luck in this situation more like the Greek ideal of fortune? Where it's just I, I by... Think, but but, but that, that ideal is more like chance. I think what you're saying before is... Hmm. Or is this a way to hack I, I, the I guess... See, here's the thing. It could be said that oh, you are fated. You are fated to find about the uh, find out about Carla Starr and her book, and you are fated to then use that tactic further on in order to increase that your your perceived fortune. And so I guess it'd be a matter of is fortune just an illusion, right? Is it, there's no such thing as fortune because it's already predisposed by fate, or is it that, um. There is such thing as a fortune, and you can defy fate. If I correctly understand where you're going, I think that you'll you'll hear in a few episodes what what you mean by that. But um, it, it's sort of the the fact that time is a dimension, and if we're referring as to like our predisposed fate example, we know that time is a dimension that was created by god right do we agree on that okay so if that's the case then god created it so he's both inside and outside it right sort of is that right right it? yeah right because he's, yeah, he's yeah. everywhere yes so exactly. in that case he's sort of out it, it, it helps my brain at least to imagine time as a dimension so he knows what is going to happen in the future he knows what our quote-unquote fate will be right but then we also still have free free agency, and we can we can make choices. It's not like we're wind up robots that go do exactly what we are going to do in the future, right? Does that, does that sort of make sense? Yeah, yeah. It it it's 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 difficult to wrap one's head around that thought of time as a dimension and the flexibility of time, like how in the gravitational well of a black hole, time moves so much more slowly than outside of it it's it's a very fun brain bending thing to think about but i think that to your fortune and free will question that sort of both (laughs) i I don't know yeah i'd say i'd say learning to increase your chances i guess the difference the difference between yeah is everything faded is is fortune faded um i'm not sure i guess that has an that has more of an origin in fate and fate versus fortune as opposed to um because i mean any task you can take increases your no no that that isn't right um learning ways to increase your chances like like learning to count cards in blackjack (laughs) um i'm not sure if that's defying the will of fate um but that's to be seen are you gonna do a podcast on that oh fate we have fate versus fortune down on the topic list 
Yep. Uh, I don't know how right. soon we'll get to it, but yeah. Well, anyways, sorry, I, I hijacked that. <laughs> oh, no, no problem. Yes, that it was a very good question, and I always appreciate the questions. But, yes, as, as we said, um, recommend reading. It was... What was it? What was it? Yes. <laughs> Can you learn to be lucky? Carla Starr. Maybe. If you're one of the people who I would suggest it to. I, I don't think there's anything else. If you have any questions, quandaries, questions, or... Comments <laughs> or corrections. <laughs> Comments or corrections, yes. We, we would appreciate two questions, though. <laughs> <laughs> we would, yes, as many questions as you'd like. <laughs> yes, yes. Pretty please. Pretty please. Um, yes. Oh, but, but listeners, pretty please. Or... or, or starving for emails you see we haven't got an email for 47 days and yeah <laughs> no no i can't cry on command <laughs> but but no please please email us at retroconretrospects.com with any questions quandaries comments or corrections and that, that's all Redder and retrospect has been ben max and david signing off signing, signing off. off all right goodbye goodbye bye bye, bye.